So we've been looking at the, a breakdown in terms of um, the, the Christian worldview, and, and, and our young people today are generally coming into a world that is extremely messed up intellectually, spiritually. It's, it's messed up because the whole, everything that we have had before as truth has been shifted. The things that we believe were true before have been attacked by a world that doesn't believe in a God and has, have been changed. So our kids, as they're going through school, have been, they've questioned everything about God because they've heard that evolution was where we all came from. They've questioned everything about having faith in God because they've, they've read nonsense that said there is no God. And so in the West, we have this, this vacuum in people's lives, this young people's lives, where they don't know what to believe anymore. It's, all, it's just mad. Now last week, last couple of months, we, we've been talking about, well the last month we talked about the fact that believing in the Word of God is not a silly thing because there is so much evidence to prove to us that we can number one believe in God and number two that we can believe that the Word of God is the Word of God and it's good for us. So we went through three weeks of actually uh, teaching you how to look at nature and, and see how the story of nations, how um, we, we can look at uh, the created order, we can look at the purpose and the value of created things and, and the design of created things and see the hand of the creator. We, we, we saw that every man's conscience tells us that they have an awareness of a right and a wrong and an awareness of a judgment coming and that our conscience speaks to us about the existence of God. We also saw that the amazing laws of nature, the laws that govern everything and hold everything in place that give us the, the providing for us a season and nature it gives us food and crops and everything the laws of nature the the laws of mathematics the laws of chemistry all those laws that are, are there that nobody knows why they're there or how they got there are there because god instituted them there and they speak to us about the existence of god and we know that culture talks to us about the existence of god i, I read a, a part of a, a book that um that ray gave us last week and and it had the the um Chinese language, and I'll show you some of those ideas. That it, it had old Chinese script and how they get to the word boat or how do they get to the word wife and they have all these symbols that they put together and the symbols speak about a time before the Chinese culture could even remember. It talks about the garden. It talks about men in the garden. It talks about eight men in a boat. It talks about those things. And it's like, where do you get that commonality? Where does that come from in the Chinese culture? It comes from the fact that Adam and Eve had kids that looked Chinese. And they went at the Tower of Babel to another place. But their culture was still there. So culture speaks to us. So even looking at general revelation, that's the nature of the things that are out there. God clearly shows us that we can have faith in him because there's evidence for his existence. And when we look at the word of God, and I'm not going to go through the 10 reasons why we can believe that the word of God is the word of God. If you want to come and see me after, I'll go through those things. But we can see that we can have confident faith in God's word. So God wrote a book. We know that there is a God and we know that he wrote a book and, and this is how he sees things. So the, the book actually shows us, the Bible shows us God's perspective of things. Of course, in our society in the West, we've lost that sense of perspective. This is the subject of Christian philosophy, if you like. This is, philosophy is a big word, but it, it, it basically means the big picture, how do we see the big picture? So if you step back and if you go into philosophy, you, you ask the question like, um, what is the meaning of life? What is it all about? It deals with the big questions of life. It deals with the things that you don't know about. Philosophy deals with how you understand how things are. That's what philosophy is about. And it, our Christian philosophy has been attacked. 
because God has been taken out of the picture. So we don't get to see how God sees things any longer. So in this week, month, this month we want to actually look at how God sees things and how we can align ourselves with the way God sees things and how we can defend the position that we have in God to others around us. So this whole subject deals with the big questions of life and and to start off we're going to start off with something here now and ask you to uh, start an exercise which you can continue as we're going through today and then at the end you'll have finished the exercise Liz is going to hand out a little piece of paper I hope I've got enough I I think I I copied 60 Um, if you're a married couple you might want to just if we haven't got 60 you might want to share and just uh, write what I want you to do on this is this is a little question Thing. It says, if you had one question that you ha- ha- would, wanted to ask God, what would that question be? What's your big question? So one would might say, well, why? What's the meaning of life? What purpose do I have in life? That may be one of your big questions. Or you might say, why do good people suffer bad things? That may be a question that you have. So what we're doing is we're handing out this little form. Now, as I'm preaching, I don't want you to get distracted with it and just, uh, you know, get fogged out. But I want to have you have in the back of your mind, what's the big question that you've got now that you're thinking about? That big question, at the end of our sermon, I want you to write down and write it in there very clearly so we can read it. And then I want you to hand it in. because Give it to Liz or give it to um, um, Stacy. Because we want to deal with those big questions uh, over the next couple of weeks and we want to then have our workshop on, Tuesday, uh, on the Monday night, which is next, uh, uh, on Monday night, the um, 30th. Uh, 30th, 1st of this month? 20, 27th, is it? Find out. Stacy will tell me what night it is. It's, it's, it's the last Monday night of this month. 27th. Monday night the 27th, we're having a workshop in Fitzy, so, so this will be going on. So at the, end of the, at the end of our session today, I want you to write down your big question. Just one. Don't, don't, please don't put down 100 questions. I just want you to confine it to one. Because when I get all your one questions, and I'll have 100 questions. So we'll have to sort them then. That's when my work begins. So this is philosophy. This is asking the big question. Uh, I've said to you before, humanity's been influenced. And I think I preached a sermon on this, that humanity has been influenced. And the the thing that's been influencing us in the West is the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world influences by telling us this thing. It says, you know, don't ask any questions because it's all too hard. I mean, don't think too hard about it. Just don't worry about it. That's what the world says. It's all too hard to even try and work out what's right and what's wrong. The flesh tells you, and the flesh is that part of us that, that, that wants to in, in, intuitively do the wrong thing before we're saved. It says, um, it says, you know, you're the center of everything, just be happy. You know, just don't think too hard, just look to find pleasure for yourself. And of course, the devil says, you can't really believe anything anymore. You know, so many people are telling you so many things. And so what is true? Everybody's lying to you. Someone's lying to you. As soon as you, they told you butter was bad for you because it gave you heart disease. And then they tell you that, that, uh, that uh, uh, margarine is better for you because it makes you healthier. And then they tell you that ma- margarine actually gives you cancer. And so, you know, your butter is better. You know, so, I mean, you can't believe anything anymore. So why believe anything? 
Well, the devil says, don't believe in it. Have universal doubt. And you have been influenced. You've been influenced by this, this, this onslaught of lies. You've been influenced if you've stopped asking the tra- question, what is true? What really is true? If you've stopped resorting to seeking out for truth and you just said, oh, well, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to try and find happiness and just please myself. If you've, um, if you've got trouble of believing anything anymore and you just say, I don't know what to believe and you, and you just say, well, I don't know. I just don't know anymore. And you, it's just easier for you to say, I don't know than to say, I know the truth. If, you, if that's where you are, you've been influenced or it could be worse. You know, this confusion that you have, this sort of sense of meaningless that we have about life comes from that sense of confusion while we don't ask those questions. You know, the, uh, the writer to Solomon says in, uh, in his Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utter meaningless, everything is meaningless. And sometimes that's the sort of frustration we get, this feeling of utter meaningless. What is the point of life? There is so much stuff going on. Why is this all going on? It's just all meaningless. You know, or you're dead. I mean, if you're sitting here and, and you don't care, young people, think it. If you don't care anymore, if you're just not worried about things anymore, you could be spiritually dead. If it's just, I mean, it just doesn't matter to you, God, doing God's things, pleasing God, you're just sitting here, you're just here for the fun. If it's sort of like, life is all about you. It's about you and your fun. About you just don't care about anybody, about God or about others. It's just not important. Just you. You're the center of all things. Now, if you've listened to this world, the Western world, that's what it's all about. It's you. You're the center. And if you believe that thing, you're you're probably spiritually dead. And that's scary because if you're spiritually dead, you don't feel anything. You You don't even know you're dead. The first time that you know you're dead is when you die and you wake up on the other side and God's looking at you and saying, hey, didn't you know that you were going to come and see me one day? And that will be your first recognition of, ah, oh, there is a life after death. You need to think very clearly about these things. Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 to 23 says these words, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. That means if you see things the way they should be seen, if you see things from God's perspective, your whole being will be full of light. If you get your eye right and you see what God sees and you understand what God sees and that's in you, you've got that in your spirit, then everything will be fine. Then he says, Jesus says these words, but if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. He says, then if the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And some of you, listen to me, if the only thing that is motivating you in life is having fun and, and getting off and doing whatever you want, if that's the only thing that's motivating your life, then the light in you is dark. And how great is the darkness? You know, this, this message of philosophy should wake us up and make us think about life and the big questions about life and not just put them away and say it doesn't matter anymore. It does matter. There's an eternal consequence for what you believe. Where you go after you die matters. And when you get there, you will know it matters. And you need to come to that place. This, this, this time today together must be a taste, time of reflection where we think about, look, I can just go along with the world in a mind-numbing sort of 
thing, you know, oh, oh, life, oh, oh, and then die, or I can turn my head on and start thinking about what is it all about? And that's what philosophy says. You have a philosophy, whether you know it or as a Christian, you understand what it's all about. So we want to deal with that today. Our society has been changing, and you, you, you might have not noticed it because some of you are pretty young, you haven't even got used to the society in which you're in. Um, if you're probably just coming into your teenage years, I mean, you don't know about society. It's just always been there. It's like a goldfish in a bowl. You get a goldfish in a bowl. The last thing it knows about is the water. I mean, it lives in the water. It just doesn't know it's there until you drag it out of it and it doesn't have it. It says, there's no water in the bowl. So if you're a young person, you're coming in society. Society is. That's what it is. You don't even think about it. You're just there. I mean, it's there. And the last thing you recognize is that it actually is influencing you. You turn the TV on and it speaks to you. You start thinking certain things about Coca-Cola because it tells you to. You, You just live your life. It's just there. You never... Until you reach those teenage years where you begin to to start saying, what's it all about? And start asking the question, who's controlling my mind? Am I controlling my mind or is somebody else controlling my mind? Is my parents controlling my mind or is the government controlling my mind or is God controlling my mind? Until you start asking those questions, you don't even know it's existent. You're just going along with the flow. And if you're able to go through your whole life along with the flow and never ask that question, God help you, God help you. Because you need to ask those questions. You need to hunger for God. The devil's at work and he's blinding the minds of people who can't see. It says, the gospel says here in in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 to 4, it says, If our gospel is veiled, it's veiled or is hidden, it's hidden to those who are perishing. That means they're dying. Whose minds the God of this age, that's the devil, has blinded who do not believe, lest they see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the who is the image of God. Who should shine on them. So you see, the devil says, you know, I don't want you to see God. Now, stand up, Kathy. I oh, know you've got your hands up, but just stand up, love. Now, see, Kathy has got these beautiful eyes, but they, they are mastered by these lovely eye, eye pieces that she can see through. Now, I know Kathy has got some very, very serious problems in seeing straight without those on, don't you? Yeah, yeah okay. So if you took them off and I said, read on the page. Could you do that? No. Okay, that's my point. So, so, what, so what, the, what the devil does, he says he messes with your eyes so you can't see straight. So you can't see what's on the page. And some of you can pick up the Bible and you can read it and you say, it's just nonsense, I can't make sense of it. I just don't, I don't, it's like you, you can read the words, but you have no understanding of the meaning of the words. You're just, just blind. And who's doing that? The devil's doing that. Just twisting your head so you can't understand, so you don't see what's in it. You say, I read the Bible, it doesn't help me. Why? Well, are you wanting to do the Bible or you're just reading the Bible because that's the rules that you keep just to be good? You read the Bible because it's going to change your life and you're going to obey it or you're going to read the Bible because you have to do that to get to heaven. The, 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 the mind has been blinded, it says. How have things changed in our society? Well, in this is the... Truth boundary stones have been moved. They've been denied and moved. And in Proverbs chapter 22, we have these words. Do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your forefathers. Now, in building these days, we have what we call surveying, and they put a surveyor's peg in. 
In the old days, they used a stone, something like this stone here, and they would put that on a boundary of a property. Now, that particular stone there is a Babylonian stone, and on it is an inscription. So on the inscription, it says, the people who live in this block of land, these people are very special people because the king said of these people, they don't have to pay taxes. They, they were free from taxes. So that stone was set up and set up in the ground. It's very heavy. You couldn't move it. So that everybody who came to collect your taxes, because they came to collect your taxes from your property, would read the stone. And they say, here's the stone that says I'm free from tax. And everybody says, whoo, free from tax. Don't move the stone. And they'd set out stones for boundaries of properties so that people knew where the boundaries were, so people would know where they, how much land they had and, and what they didn't have. You have the same thing along your fence line. If you go and try and pull down your fence and put a meter over the neighbor's fence, you're going to have problems because you are moving an ancient boundary stone or a, a, a surveyor's peg. You're not allowed to do that because that's just not what life is about. You keep... You, you keep your stuff and I'll keep my stuff. And that line tells us where my stuff begins and your stuff begins. It's the same with God. When you move God's stones and says, when he says, this is mine and this is my idea, this is what I want to do. And you say, well, I don't think that. God, God says, I created the heavens and the earth. We say, well, we're going to actually move that boundary stone and then we're going to put it over here and say, dismiss that boundary stone. And then we're going to say, creation is not God's domain. Creation is evolution's accident. You've just moved a boundary stone. You just shifted something. So man has removed God from his mind. Here's what the scripture says. It says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. It says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. So God is actually looking for people who want to search after him. The Bible says, All have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who is good, not even one. And then it says, will evildoers never learn those who devour my people as men eat bread and who do not call upon the name of the Lord? And then the word of God says, there they are overwhelmed with dread for God is present in the company of the righteous. Now look, let's go through that again. Psalm 40, the fool has said in heart, there is no God. Why is that foolish? saying there is no God. What do you have to say to say there is no God? Well, the thing that you have to say is, I know everything. I know every single thing there is to know. And I know absolutely all things that there is no God anywhere, anywhere, in any place, in any time. That's what you've got to say. Well, because you are finite, if you actually say something like that, because you don't know everything, then you are full because everybody sits back and says, you know... Do you know my grandmother's maiden name? No. Well, maybe God lives with my grandmother, who you don't know. So if you say categorically, there is no God, you've made yourself out to be an idiot because you don't know all things. He may be living somewhere else where you don't know. What else does it say? The Lord looks down on those sons of men who see God is looking for those who are looking for him. 
And then it says, all have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. That means the majority is going to say the silly thing. That the minority is going to search for God. God is looking for somebody who's searching for him. But the majority is going to say, you know, just put it out of your head. Don't worry about it. It's just too hard to think about. Just enjoy yourself for tomorrow you die. It says, and evildoers will never learn. They will, those who devour my people as many, but you're going to get some opposition by believing that there is a God. And they don't call on God. And they are overwhelmed with dread, for God is present with the company of his people. You see, God is here, and we feel his presence, and we hear his words in the company of the righteous. But he's not with the company of the unrighteous. And they say they don't, there is no God. Well, that's what we know because he doesn't live with you. He lives with us. How can you say there's no God? Here he is. He's living with me. This is the wicked. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. And that's the truth. God is in none of his thoughts. That's why he's not there. It's not that he doesn't exist. The wicked man is not thinking about him. So where are we? Well, this is, this is the age in which we live. In society, we live in what is called the culture of the postmodernist. This is postmodernism. It's an ugly little picture, isn't it? But it kind of shows you two ugly little faces up the top there. And if you like, the tops of their heads are opening up and there's ideas being exchanged between or things being put into each other's head. You see that? That's postmodern. It's like confusion, like we don't know what's going on. It's like frustrating, and there's a whole lot of ideas being thrown in people's heads from each other. That's postmodernism. So what does it stand for? So how do we get here? Well, there's three areas in history, and this is going to be a little bit boring, I suppose, because it's a history lesson for a little start, but I want to, I want to show you how we got here. There's the pre-modern time, there's the modern time, and it's the post-modern time. We're living in the pre-modern time, no, the post-modern time. Pre-modern history goes from creation to about 1650. That's around about um, a few years ago now, just prior to the Enlightenment stage when people started talking about, uh, Darwin started talking about um, evolution and these things. So in the pre-modern stage, what it was was that Ultimate truth could be understood because God would communicate it to us. So we have a little diagram like this you can draw down. So this is from creation to the 1650s. God was in the center of things. His supernatural communed with us. So we saw that God was central in everything. That's in the pre-modern time, before 1650s. There was no other ideas. It was always God. And he spoke to us. He speaks through revelation to man. And man was able to know absolute truth through his relationship with God. Uh, uh, it says ultimate truth was experienced and it was knowable. So that's pre-modern. That's where we really need to get back to this understanding where God is and where God is communicating to us. But that was pre-modern. In the 1650s to the 1950s, modernism took over. Now, two things happen in modernism that came as First of all, there was this idea that you start to think differently. You have to think about what's going on in your senses and you have to approach uh, a whole lot of things with reason and logic. 
And so they started to think real hard. They put God out of the question because they didn't want to find out what God was about. And you see the church started to drop down. Now, if you look at those things, they started, church people started saying, you know, they started to question things about the Bible, whether the Bible was real, whether there was any miracles, whether the virgin birth really happened, if there was any God at all, if there was any atonement that happened at the cross, if Jesus even existed. And it got to the point where you've got people standing in churches who are atheists. They didn't even believe in God. They didn't even believe that there was a God, but they were holding a Christian uh, denominational ticket but they were modernists that's where we went to so modernists had this sort of thing you have god stuck out on the outside there he we don't we he's just rejected out there this absolute supernatural god has been rejected he's put right over the other side there in the middle of everything in the modernist world is science and reason and logic now science is really important because it tells us through empirical testing that something is true will this chair hold me up i shall test this with an empirical test yes it will hold me up but i now have universal doubt because i don't know whether it will hold me up a second time will it hold me up a second time is it true that this chair will hold me up sometimes chairs break i will test it again it is true for the second time that this chair will hold me up. I have tested this truth. Is it true, absolutely true, that this chair will always hold me up? Well, I don't know whether that's true because somebody could have actually filed the chair down or it could have broken or I could have put on weight. I, it might break underneath. Uh, will it, I will test it again to try. And I can never, ever be really always sure that that chair is going to hold me up because I can't truthfully say it's an absolute truth. I've got to doubt it all the time. So that's what science does. There's nothing, nothing sure in science. Science just has this big question mark and says, well, for now, that's what we think, but tomorrow it could be different. So it's universal doubt. Don't believe anything. So we try and understand what truth is and we try and understand to know what, will cell phones make me have a cancer in the brain? I don't know. We're testing that. Oh, it, at, 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 at this particular point in time, you're okay. Use your cell phone. But, you know, tomorrow we might find it's not so good. We don't know. Everybody's now getting uh, uncertain. Everybody's getting sort of scared because they don't know what the truth is anymore. They don't know wh where it is because science says we can't really know truth. So you have some sort of, this is modernism. It just goes around and around. And it, brings, it brought a whole lot of, look, developments. Man, it, it, look, we got to get off the ground and to fly in a big plane through modernism. People testing things and trying things and learning things. We got to have a, ho a, a, a phone on our hand which can change slides on the wall. We got to do some extraordinary things. Your grandparents, probably great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents probably didn't even have a concept of what it would be like to fly over the sea to travel to another country. You know, they'd have to get on a boat maybe and go for a thousand years across the ocean to get to it. But now you just fly there. They had no idea that you could have... A, the person's face talking at you on Skype and them talking back, you know, have a conversation over a screen. Man, that wasn't even in their heads. The modernism has brought us a lot of developments, a lot of good things. You drove here in a car, you came here, it's all very nice. Modernism brought us lots of things. It also brought us some bad things too. It brought us two world wars, mass destruction, weapons of mass destruction, the Holocaust. It brought us uh, rising uh, government powers that are tyrannical, that control your thinking. So, you know, we started to get in the 1960s, started questioning those things. Young people started to stand up and say, why are we here in Vietnam? None of you young people would even know that. I was just on the border of that when it started to wind up. 
if it kept on going and I stayed in the country where I was staying and I could have maybe have gone to Vietnam because the war was so long. But dad was in that age when Vietnam was there and the world wars were there. His fathers were, were at the First and Second World War. So we were related to these terrible things, mass destruction, you know, atomic bombs, Hiroshima, a whole, a whole country, a whole town, city just destroyed in one second. Mass destruction. These... This knowledge wasn't actually bringing us into a utopia where we became a better people with a better community, with better loving relationships. It actually brought us into a more hostile world. It brought us into a place where, 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 where governments were controlling and manipulating. It brought us into a place where tyranny was being, being... So we started to protest and hippies started to rise up. And they were all good-looking, lovely-looking people. Hippies were breaking all the rules. There are no rules anymore. We don't believe what modernists say anymore. Hippies came along and they said, we're going to have love and peace. We had a, a breakout of all the rules. Hippies came along in the 1960s. I remember that. I was just a young man. I remember a lot of the guys getting saved from the hippie movement and the church that we lived in in Sydenham. Um, the, the guy who founded uh, the Triple C Church was saved in the church um, in, in Sydenham that I was attending. I remember the night that he got saved. The long-haired guy, red beard, red hair. His wife had a red berry on Chris and Phil Pringle got saved one night. They used to sit down and drink wine in the back, back of the church at different times. And, you know, they got marvelously saved. Now they've run the triple C churches all around the world. These guys got saved out of this hippie movement because the hippies questioned everything. It's not, it was just wasn't about clothes and radical clothes. The radical clothes said something. They said, we don't like your suits we don't like your ties. We don't like the way you dress. We don't like your formal conservative government ideas. We're going to break what We don't like your sexuality. We don't like your rules. We just believe that everybody's got a free choice to do anything like. And then postmodernism had started to be birthed. That happened in the 60s. And so what happened then, at that point of time, is you had God rejected on the outside for those who didn't accept Jesus. We have man's experience being the center of all things. You know, smoke drugs, drink alcohol, listen to rock and roll, and have a party because that's all it is. Your experience, seek for pleasure, hedonism, seek for pleasure. That's the center. Have a complete doubt about science. I mean, science is just the tool of the governments to manipulate the minds of the, the, the masses. We're told now what the government tells us, and they're telling us that is this scientific and with the facts are in because we're told that's what they want you to believe because they're trying to control your mind. It's just there's no truth in the matter anymore. We doubt it. The government uses it and says, science is right. We don't know. We're just being manipulated. So in the center of all things right now in this postmodernist day, no one knows anything about truth. No one understands what is truth. All we've got is our experience. And all our experience does is does this sort of thing. It says, okay, in the middle of my Christian walk, here I am, I have experience. And what it is, this experience is true. So God's right out here. And his truth is right out here. The world revolves around here, and here's the world here with science. And we have this universal doubt. With that world. And then we look back at God. This is the church. This is where the church is now. And it's called the emergent church. And it says, you know what? I can't know God 
because I don't believe and I, don't, I have doubt that God is going to communicate to me. Because I can't know God objectively through, science, through, through, um, through the Word of God and through nature, I will, from my experience, interpret the Word of God. So what we get is man interprets God's Word through his experience. And that there is the biggest problem you got. Because you pick up the Bible and you read the Bible and you say, now what do I think it says? Rather than having the Bible speak to you and tell you what it says, you are now trying to tell the Bible what it says. When the Bible says this is what the Word of God says, it is wrong to lie, then you pick it up and say, well, I think that in in my experience, in my circumstances, it's okay to tell a lie. Why? Because God is a loving God and he wouldn't send me to hell if I told a lie. Now, what you've just done is you said, you know, God, you might be there, but I'm not listening to you anymore. What I'm going to do is I'm God in the middle here. I'm the one who's going to tell you what it's all about. And I'll interpret the word of God according to my emotions, according to the way I'm feeling, according to my experience. I'm going to interpret it the way I see it. You know, you need to stop doing that. That philosophy is all about postmodernism. It's all about what you've been fed through, the, through our society. That's where society is taking you. You need to stop that and you need to go back to the beginning, back to the root, back to what it's all about, back to God's word and say, what did God say? How can I see it from his perspective? Tell me how to see this big picture. I'm suffering now. The, God was, the world was saying, God has just rejected you. you, are, you if you've got money, you've got status, and you've got wealth, then you are a godly man. That's not true. You can have money, you can have status and be ungodly. And you can be sitting in a church with all of that and still be ungodly. Godliness has something to do with God's truth being born out in your life and you're living God's truth. Not about what you attain. Our society says, you tell God what you think he's meaning. God's word says, let God tell you what he's thinking. It's a big difference. Society has messed us up so bad. And we're sitting here and we're going, oh, I don't know what to do. Just believe God's word. Live God's word. Let God's word speak to you. Don't you tell God's word of what it's saying. Let God tell you what he's saying. That makes the difference. So what does postmodernism stand for? It stands for insists on all kinds of equality amongst all ideas at all times. There's no truth, just opinions. It's all opinions. And all opinions are equal. You don't believe that homosexuality is a sin. Oh, well, that's your opinion. I believe it's a sin. Well, that's my opinion. I, we could all be happy together homosexually. If you want to be a homosexual and a Christian, that's okay. We don't have any right or wrong here. Listen, where did that nonsense come from? The Bible clearly tells us about sexual immorality. It clearly tells us about homosexuality. It tells us it's a sin. So we're, well, postmodernism says, you know, everybody's got their opinions. You tell God what you think and that will be it. You need to think about this. Postmodernism also says to the world, what you think is important really is not. I say, Mark, you think that holiness is important, but that's not really important. It's only important to you. So, Graham, you think that it's really important that um, people could go street preaching. 
And you should get out there on the... Re- that's only important to you. That's not important. It doesn't come from the Word of God. It's just important to you. Postmodernism says that. It says, what you're getting all upset about is your problem. Leave everybody else alone. Everybody has the right to have their own opinion. You wonder where we got those thinking from? It came in with the hippies in the 1960s. And it's in our society now. And it's through every legal system. We changed from the legal system from the Westminster system where the law was stated built upon the Ten Commandments. And now it's built upon what they call jurisprudence. What jurisprudence is, is the, the wisdom of the jury. It's not about truth any longer. It's about how well you can argue your point. If you can get the right lawyer and he argues your point hard enough and well enough, you can get off even though you're guilty. You can get off from murder. You can get away from it because you've got the right lawyer to argue and he can convince the, the, the jury to say you're innocent. It's not about truth. It's just about arguing the point. That's where we're living. That's where our lives are. You wonder, why am I having so much battle with the truth now? Why am I having so much difficulty in, in, getting, in keeping the truth in mind? Why are so many people talking at me and telling me, why are you, what are you believing? You are living in the water of postmodernism. That's what's happening to you. That's the, that is the culture in which you're living in the West. Our sisters and brothers that have come from Africa, you come into, into this country and you say, Christianity is not the same as it is in back in Africa. Back in Africa, you had to die for your faith. You come into Australia and it's like water. water. It's like, it's not, it, it doesn't mean anything. You know, you can just do whatever you like and still be a Christian. It's not the same. You know why it's not the same? Because the West, where you will live, has been affected by some very strong demonic deceptions. And postmodernism's come straight at you. So what's the meaning of life for a postmodernist? Well, really, there is no meaning. There is no God. Well, there may be, but we're not going to get upset about that. There's no truth. There's no supernatural. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's no angels. There's no demons. It's just all opinion. If you want to have that opinion, I'm fine with that. Go have your opinion. You just leave me, let me have my opinion. That's postmodernism. So now you know what you're dealing with. So what happens when conflict, when we face conflict? What happens when our cultures, this is what Colossians tells us. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. So there's a battle going on and a battle for your mind and the devil's working really hard to try and take our young people and take their minds and screw them completely up. His, his desire is to take someone like Phoebe and twist her head so badly so she can't see the light of Jesus. So she just gets caught up in whatever it is that will go, make her have fun and pleasure. She, he wants, the devil wants to take Nathan's head and just screw it so badly so he can't even rationalize what's right and wrong anymore and he gets sucked into pleasure. He wants to take uh, Renee and he wants to screw her head up so she can't think right or straight or, or have a balanced view of life. He wants to take you and destroy you because he's a thief and a liar and a destroyer, and he's going to do that if you let him. If, the only way you're going to stop is you have to get your head back to where it should be. You may be taken captive, and you don't even know it. You may be even thinking the wrong things right now, and you're, not, you're just dismissing what I'm saying, dismissing what I'm putting out there. Don't listen, don't listen. You know what? There's a devil inside you talking to you. 
you need to kick it out. You need to take, the, take authority and say, I don't want to think like this world. Jesus, I want to think like you. Jesus, save me from this thing that's in my head that's talking to me now. You need to take your head and you need to say, God, save me. If you don't save me now, I'm going to go down. I'm going to go to hell. And you need to take me seriously and not just sit here and just play silly games with your head thinking that you can get along life. This society is going to eat you up. It's going to destroy you. And there's only one voice that's making it clear to you now. It's the voice that's coming from God that's coming through my mouth to you now. It says, wake up. It's time to listen up. You cannot keep on going the way you're going and, and think that you will escape. You will not escape. The scripture tells you, make sure and make sure that you do not get caught up with it. And it will be easy to get caught up because it's the comfortable way. It's the easy way. It's the most pleasurable way. It's going to take a live fish to swim upstream to stay alive. You're going to have to take some flack. You're going to have to take some criticism. You're going to have to take some rejection. You're going to have to take some hard knocks. You might even get bashed up. You might even be killed for your faith. But that's what it's going to take to stand in this world under this perversion. You know, I wake up at night time and I am aching and crying on my I just can't sleep. I get on my knees before God and say, God, wake them up. God, wake them up. I can't sleep at night because I think I can see you going to hell if you don't wake up. So, oh, that's your opinion, Mark? That's not my opinion. My opinion doesn't wake me up in the middle of the night. It's God's opinion saying, Mark, unless you get in there and stand in the gap for these people, they're doomed. You're living in a life, in a world that is just out to eat you up alive and you don't even know it. You sit there in your school years and you listen to all the crap that comes about evolution and you just, just undermine your faith in Jesus as the creator of all things. And the Spirit of God stirs up a jealousy inside of me for you, for you right now. Wake up. Young people, wake up. You are a light to the lost. All of your schoolmates will scream out at the gates of hell and say, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you warn me? Why didn't you speak to me about the truth? Because you heard the truth. You came today and you heard the truth. God's spoken to your heart because he loves you. He's spoken to your life because he cares about you. He's warned you with his word to wake you up. Second Timothy says, For a time is coming when men will put, not put up with sound doctrine. What's sound doctrine? It's what the Bible says. They won't put up with what the Bible says. Instead, to, instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want. They will, look, you, don't tell me about this holy God who wants to me live right. Just tell me about a loving God who will forgive all my sins. Tell me about a gracious God who will let me live my sinful life and not punish me, but love me into heaven. Well, I want to build a big church. So if I want to build a big church, I've got to get a message that will make you sing. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll tell you all about God and how much he loves you. And you can be a homosexual and sit here. You can be somebody who's living with their girlfriend and sleeping with their girlfriend and doing the sinful thing. And you can still be here. And I'll say, happy, happy, Jesus. Jesus, change your life. 
you know, and we'll all get together and that would be lovely. We'll have a big, big church of people who are sleeping together, people who are having abortions, people who are doing all the things that the world is doing, but we won't have a big church of holy people. We'll just have a big church of unholy people. But that's okay because God's grace will forgive everybody and they'll all go to heaven. That's the biggest load of rubbish I've ever heard. That's the sort of doctrines that are being taught now that are are taking young people away from God and from the holy life. Friends, you didn't come here today because you just rolled up here. You came here because God, in his divine appointment, ordered your steps to be here so that you would hear this message. You did not come here because you just happened to, by happen chance, be here. You came here because God, by his Holy Spirit, loves you so much that he would bring you here to hear the truth. That's why you're here. You're here to hear the truth. And the truth is not what our world is telling us. The truth is what God's word tells us. We put God's word back into the center of our lives again. Back into the center. And I don't care whether I have no one here at the end of the year or whether we have twice as many people here at the end of the year. The point is not that what the number we have here. The point is, is God's truth here. That's the point. It's God's truth here. Isaiah 55 verse 7 says this words, Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God and he will freely pardon. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You know, this whole idea about Christian philosophy represents an entire worldview. Every part of your life is going to be affected by the Bible. When you pick up the Bible and say, Lord, I want to have faith in you, Jesus. He says, read my perspective on things. Read my story. So you take the Bible and you start to read. And you all of a sudden discover that, you know, your money's not your own, that your money doesn't even belong to you. It belongs to God. He owns all of you. That when you gave your heart to Jesus, he owned you completely. And all your money. Oh, that wasn't, I didn't realize that when I gave my heart to Jesus. You pick it up and you decide to, you want to find out about relationships. Oh, this is how it works now in relationships. And this is what everybody thinks you do. You get a girlfriend, you hang out, you hook up. Hang out and hook up. Try before you buy, make sure everything's working well. And then you move in. Yeah, practice marriage, you know, just see if you live together, see if you all hang the toilet paper the right way, you know, and everything's going to be cool. No commitment, you know, walk out of that as fast as you can if you want to. And then after you've been there a few years, she gets pregnant. Oh, she forgot to take the pill. Oh, she's pregnant. (laughs) Okay, we better get married and consolidate this relationship. This is the West. This is the world. Let's consolidate that relationship. Let's uh, get married now. Well, why? Because we're living together for five years and we've got a kid coming, so we better make it make an honest woman out of her. <laughs> Absolute nonsense. So you come to the word of God and you say, God's what's your perspective? God's perspective this is no sexual immorality. That means don't be sexual with a person who you're not married with. So how far do you go? Wrong question. How much do you love Jesus? Am I allowed to sort of, you know, wrong question. 
That's not the question. The question is, was it to please Jesus? Was it to live and please Jesus? What it is to encourage your future husband, because you're not going to have a boyfriend, you're just going to have a future. What is it to encourage your future husband to walk with God so that he becomes a strong leader in God? It's not about the flesh. It's not about having your sexual you know, lollipops as you're going along and enjoying life. It's about living holy before God. And then once you've found the mate that God has planned for your life, you marry, then you move in, then you have kids. That's the order of the Word of God. It's not the order of the world. My ways are not your ways, says God. My thoughts are not your. It affects God's word. Affects every part of our life. It affects every your career, your, the way your status is. It affects everything. God's perspective on things affects everything in your life. So you're going to have a choice. You're going to have to look at God's perspective, and you're going to say, "Well, what is your perspective about my career? What do you want me to do in life?" And He'll say, "What do you want to do for me in life?" Well, I was going to go and get a big career and lots of money and be a status man. You know, you look at me, look at my fancy clothes that I move with style. See the car I'm driving? Whoa, look at the ring that I've got on. Man, you were jealous about that thing, man. Look and weep. Well, you want to come around to my house? Oh, it's just a small one. Seven bedrooms and 16 bathrooms and five-car garage. Yeah, yeah, it's not small. It's, uh, it's not like my other one that's around the corner. Come on, seriously, I'm being facetious here. God is going to change the way you view everything in life. Christian philosophy, you will have to choose what you believe. And that choice will create repercussions throughout every aspect of your life. You know what that means? When you choose to follow Jesus, everything will change. It will never be the same again. And you want to think very carefully before you put your hand up and say, I want Jesus in my life. Because if you say you want Jesus in your life, Jesus will come in and take control. And it won't be what you want anymore. It will only ever be what he wants. And it will be what he wants from that day on because he will say, I am Lord and you will obey me. I'm not interested in you just joining the club. God wants your life. He wants your life. And he may take your life and you might think you had something. He say, well, you know, I'm going to take you and I'm going to take you to a land you don't know about. I'm going to take you to Cambodia and I'm going to put you down with people that you can't even imagine, you can even understand. But, but that's not what I want in life. I want to do this and I want to be that. You know, I don't care what you want. I know what I've got for your life. You just follow me now. Pastor Gabetti came to Australia because God told her to come to Australia to minister to people of her own race and Australian to Aboriginal people in Australia. Oh, it would be much nicer to stay in Africa in the Congo, maybe, you know. Why would I have to leave her? Can't you juice me here in the Congo? No, you have to go in a foreign country where people don't like you, where people don't think you're nice, and you're going to have to suffer to do this for me. And so God takes a woman out of her 
comfortable zone and puts it in an uncomfortable zone and says, now follow me. I have a plan for you. I have a job for you to do. I'm going to raise you up. Why does That's because everything that you do after you ask Jesus into your life will be what Jesus wants you to do, not what you think you want to do. And you won't be in telling him. You, he'll be, you'll be listening to him and asking him to give you guidance and direction. His word will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Friends, listen to me. What's the big question that you have in life? Now, I don't want you to fill that out just yet. I want you to think about what this sermon has said to you. Now, you might have been going through a week where your head has been fogged with every lie that's come out of Satan. It's just like the light has just shone into your mind now and that you can see something clearly for the first time. You might have been coming through life and you say, oh, I don't know what I pray for. I don't know. All I want to do is what I, I just want to have fun. You might be there. And you, you, you might, this sermon might have just woken you up today and said, you know, it's not about having fun. It's about real life. It's about following Jesus and getting your head out of this mess that this is this world. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to respond to God. Because I think it's important that you respond after you understand what God is saying to you. I'm giving you an opportunity to respond to him and say, Lord, you know, I don't want to be controlling my life. I don't want to be in control of my thoughts. I want you to control my thoughts. I think that yours is the best and the safest way. I want to get out of this postmodernism and get into you. If that's where you're at, I want to pray for you today. I'm going to ask you to do a hard thing. Everybody stand. I'm going to ask you, if, if, if you've been challenged and you've got that sense inside of you, like God has, has been drawing you today, he's saying, come to me. You've got to escape the danger. Come to me. If that's been in here, that's been drawing, I want you to come and I want you to stand with me at the front. I want to pray for you. If that's what's been happening today. If that's what you feel, I don't care how old you are or how young you are, you can all feel that inside. You can feel that sense of God challenging you. You feel like your life has been run on silly nonsense and it's time now to move in for Jesus. I want you to come here and I want to pray for you.